Father, we thank you for uh, your commitment to speak to us. We need your voice in our life. We need your words, which are life. We need them more than we know. And so we pray this morning, whether we're young or old, that together as a body, that we will hear your word and be able to respond in a way that glorifies you. We ask that by the Spirit's power and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to talk about uh, generations. Um, what generations have we got here today then, eh? Bit of participation straight up front. Uh, if you're age 78 to 98, hands up. Sorry, right, everyone's going to be doing it, so hands up. Do you know what you're known as? Exactly, the silent generation. <laughs> if you're age 59 to 77, guess, uh, come on, hands up. You're the baby boomers. We love you. If you're age 44 to 58, like me, Generation X. If you're 29 to 43, you're a millennial or Generation Y. Hands up. Yeah, there you are. And if you are in Morph and you're age 11 to 28, so you're the Morph guys, you are Gen Z. Did you know that? Yes, or maybe not. And if you're under 10, any under 10s here? You are generation alpha. Alpha. Now, who thinks they're from the greatest generation? Hands up. Yeah. Well, none of you, actually, because that was actually the name or a name given to the generation you'd be in if you were aged between 99 and 113 years old. I don't think anyone here is yet that old. Okay? They were called the greatest generation. Well, we can have a lot of fun comparing and contrasting these generations and identifying uh, their key features uh, around us as we look around at different people in us as we own our own generation. And even though today is Morph Sunday... I'm not going to just pick on you Gen Zers here much. A little bit, but not much. But I do want to say it's an absolute pleasure to have this generation among us, to be able to have something like Morph in our church, along with all of the other things that we do. But we're sort of focusing a bit on Morph today. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful pleasure to have this mix and though we're different in all sorts of ways, and we call them, don't we, at times, generational differences, some things we've been through, though, remain similar. Uh, and I enjoyed this uh, comment I came across about who's funnier, and it was uh, Gen Zs to millennials. And so someone said this, uh, it's not really a Gen Z are funnier than millennials thing, it's just that high schoolers are consistently the funniest people alive no matter what year it is. I wonder what you think about that. Is there any truth in that? Well, you can have some fun talking about that later on. I happen to think that high schoolers are hilarious. And you saw some of that on that video, um, didn't you? But I don't want to talk about what it is. 
that separates us all. I want us to talk about what brings us together. As we come back to our series in in 1 Corinthians, what we have in chapters 12 and 13 is both a recognition of so much diversity and difference between us and tremendous unity at the same time. We're different generations, but we're all together. We have lots of different experiences, skills and abilities, but we're not on our own. We're part of something much, much bigger. In fact, what we're part of is the biggest and most important thing that is happening in this world. I really want you to get that. It's something to value and to cherish and to prioritise and to commit to, to give yourself to. This thing I'm talking about is explicitly what Jesus said he would do and has been doing and is doing right now. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And earlier on in this letter to Corinth, uh, Paul attaches, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, attaches that precise activity to the Corinthian situation, saying, you are God's building. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. And so I want to challenge us all together uh, today, and I want to use the language of most excellent Right? Not because of the 1992 film Wayne's World. Uh, and what, year, what generation is that? That's like um, millennial. Uh, gee, that sound, makes it sound old, doesn't it? Even the, the reference for a millennial's sort of most excellent uh, sounds really, really old. But I don't want to use that language because of that sort of reference. I want to use it because it's in the Bible. The language of 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. And so our big idea today is to commit yourselves to the most excellent cause, the building of Jesus' church, in the most excellent way, love. That's what we find in these chapters. So uh, actually, uh, the, the passage we're looking at is a bit broader than the reading we had. It'd be great if you could grab a Bible and have those chapters in, uh, in front of you, because there's a lot in there. Um, we're going to be dipping into it. Point number one, though, the most excellent cause, the building of Jesus' church. It's sort of there in in chapter 12, but verse 27, Paul says to the church in Corinth, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the very next sentence, Paul talks about the church. It's the church he's talking about. The church that Jesus is building is referred to as a body, a body made up of many parts. And those parts are the people, each one of you. Notice, it's not just some of you, is it? It's not a certain percentage. It's not 20% of you have a part to play and 80% spectate or 50-50 or whatever other split we could come up with, 
It's not a split at all. This is it. You are the body, the body of Christ. And so as Jesus builds the church, he's building his own body and that includes you, if you're in the church. Now he's saying that to Corinth, Paul was, but that's the message for us here, isn't it? And so what is the body doing? What's, what's happening to the body? What, what is the body about? What are you now caught up in as part of this body of Christ? It's going to be what Jesus is about. It's his body. Bodybuilding. Jesus is into bodybuilding. And that's what's in view for the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. And that's what's in view for us as well. Let's have a look uh, through chapter 12 a little bit. It begins with reminders uh, of what the Corinthians know. He reminds them of the work of God the Holy Spirit among them. And he, he expresses it in these ways. You have different gifts, many different gifts. You have many kinds of service. Julia uh, made excellent reference to a whole range of ways of different ways of serving. You have different kinds of working, different, 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 but... The same Spirit, the same God at work in all. You have God and you have the gifts. Then in verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts that the Spirit has given, that is. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gift you have, the gift you are, as God works in you, is for the common good. It's not for you. It's for we. It's for us. It's not to sit on. It's not to hide away. Doing that in the body metaphor deprives the body of health, doesn't it? Verse 12 and onwards, the body is is described then with many parts, but it is one body, it is Jesus' body. Uh, And what Paul says there is that each part belongs to this body and belongs to each other. Uh, We're not all the same though. And that is the point. It's the brilliance of this picture of the body. We know it's got many parts and we know they're not all the same. They're not all an ear. We're not all a mouth or an eye or a toe. But none can say to another, I don't need you. This body is so together, it's so tight together. How do we know? And now this works in our picture of a body, but what about in our church if this is a body? 12 verse 26. How do we know it's tight together? If one part suffers, every part suffers. That's a bit of a test, isn't it? Really, a diagnostic. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. You see... 
the power of this sort of image of the body and what this understanding helps us to see here. This body is also ordered. We're not just sort of making it up as we go. It's not some sort of Frankenstein monster thing just thrown together any old way and stitched up a bit roughly and whatever. There's mention, isn't there, of apostles, prophets, teachers, first of all. And then there's lots of others. Some of those are quite intriguing. We're not going to get into the detail of that today. But those first of all gifts, they're the gifts in, in, uh, through which we hear from God. They give us understanding. They give us uh, interpretation of, of how to use gifts, of where things fit. They direct the rest. They constrain them. And at this point, though, the Corinthians had missed the point. With all this talk of, of gifts uh, from Paul, their view of gifts was to, to focus on the gifts rather than the body. Or even Jesus Christ himself. They were focused on the gifts. And the sort of gifts that seem more impressive to them as well. Again, we're going to look at that in coming weeks. But they'd missed, crucially, what they were part of with their gifts. They were not committed to what they were, a body. They didn't understand it properly. And the body was showing the signs of it. It's the whole of Corinthians up to this point. There's been issue after issue after issue with divisions, some big things, some smaller things, some insidious things. And the body had suffered accordingly and their divisiveness was having an impact. It, it was disabling the body. So it makes us ask, what about us as a church? Do we understand what this is? What this is? And how much do we care about it? As we sit here in our, our various generations with our next generations who are actually current generations aren't they but they're the ones who are going to grow up and they're sitting here among us what will they catch from our understanding of what this is what will they get from us Older generations. Is there any chance that they will get the idea that this thing, the church, for us, the body of Christ here at Kingston Christian Reformed Church, is an expression of the biggest and most important thing that they could ever be part of, that they could ever belong to, that they could ever be needed in? I want to be frank with you. The, uh, the statistics show, and not just here, but more broadly around churches, that we're not as committed to this thing as we probably think we are. Even just at the, the level of, of turning up. And 
Back in the day, there was two services and so on. Today, these days, we have one service. And we might say, there's been a generational shift. It's a generational thing. But I want to say there's much more than just turning up in view here. I mean participation too. That's what these chapters talk about and set before us. Participation, which is certainly not less than turning up, but so much more, isn't it? What do you call a body that has an appearance of being alive, but isn't? What do you call that? Zombie. It's a zombie. What's a zombie body? Just here because I'm supposed to be, not because I want to be. Happy that others do stuff. I'm just not going to do anything, but I'm here probably because I haven't got a better offer. Happy to benefit from others, committed service, content to think that no one really needs me. Don't be thinking like that. Certainly not after we've read the reading that we've, we've had and what we have in front of us. I'm pretty sure you're needed. Every single one is needed in this picture that Paul paints for the church in Corinth. Have we got a different picture? I don't think we have. You are needed. When I was a, a youth, uh, I, I, and I thank God for this, I caught something off people who were willing to participate. And it was brilliant as I reflect on it. It was brilliant. It was old old people stepping in to do the kids' ministry and people running creche so that parents... So it wasn't the parents running the creche, people running creche so that parents could actually come and have an oasis time gathered with God's people. Attitudes like that. Uh, we've heard of uh, some needs. Uh, I'll just lay out a few particular needs just for your prayer and maybe your, your action. Um, as we're focused on morph, we've had the call already for we need female leaders. We've got a mostly female group and mostly male leaders. We need people to invest in crash. Uh, and, and this is just for where we're at now, right? I feel like this church, and I'll say this again a little later, is on the threshold of some serious growing. Opening the doors to the community. And so if we're just thinking about what we've got now, we've got some more thinking to do. Because we want to serve this community in Christ. We want this body to be able to be effective in this big thing that God is doing in this world. So we need people to invest in Christ. We're going to need a new coordinator and some more team members for Children's Church. We need a coordinator and some more help in Kids Biz. 
Cadets need some more leaders. They've got a mass of people they're expecting coming in. You know, like when a snake eats like a deer and there's a big lump. There's a big lump coming. That's the cadets. Gems is maxed out. Now, those are, that's tremendous, isn't it? Isn't that tremendous? But we've got to get around it. The body needs to build, <laughs> as it were. And as I said, this church feels like it's on the threshold of significant growth. And what I've said so far is even just to cope with our own people, let alone those who aren't yet here, who we're reaching out to. So what's the vibe here among us? We're excited to be here, to be part of this church thing as Jesus built it in this world just like he said he, he would. Is there that sense of, come on. This is who we are. This is what we're about. Or is it a zombie? I don't think it is a zombie, by the way. But that's a helpful image to remind us of what we don't want to be, isn't it? That's not what Jesus has in mind. How will that happen? How will we avoid the facade of having life, but not really having life? Having something that can't grow, that just decays? How will we avoid that? Because that's not what I want for Morph and any of our next-gen ministries or any of our generations here. And I don't think it's what you want either. And so I want to say, whatever else you do, and I do say this to the younger ones as well, whatever you do in your life, whatever's coming for you, give yourselves to this. Make this a focus. It's an amazing thing. And what he's done in and through the church of Jesus Christ, his body, that's eternal stuff. That's eternal investment. And we'll read this later on in Corinthians. It is never in vain. A lot of stuff in this world is in vain. That is never in vain. To give your life to this, to make it the focus the fixed point, the reference. Now, why would you do that? Well, because that's the most excellent cause, right? It's about love. The most excellent way, this is what it looks like in practice. And this shows us how much we need Jesus and what he's done for us. Verse 31, chapter 12, and our second point, the most excellent way. 12 verse 31, yet I will show you the most excellent way. 13 verse 4, love. He talks about love. He talks about love, 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 love. 
actually. Good on you, Ruth. We, uh, we had uh, a good time together looking at love. We're going to do it this morning now a bit too. A uh, big idea. Commit yourselves to the most excellent cause, the building of Jesus' church in the most excellent way, love. We shouldn't think of love as just some missing ingredient that we may or may not have. Some missing ingredient for the Corinthians that left this awful aftertaste of having hung out with them. But they were doing lots of good stuff. They just didn't have love. No, no, love is the whole recipe. Do you see? Verse 1 to 3, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, it's an amazing gift that gets talked about in 1 Corinthians. But I do not have love. I'm a resounding gong or a clanging, clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, amazing gift, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that's amazing. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, that's amazing. But I do not have love. I am nothing. It's not even I'm something. It's I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship so, so that I may boast but do not have love, it does no good at all. I gain zero. It's no good at all. Pretty good stuff in view, but without love, it's nothing. And so what do you think Jesus has in view for the church that reflects him, that is his body? Is it, is it this, that, that people experience church as impatient, unkind, proud, judgmental, self-righteous, defensive, accusing, and unforgiving? Is that what we're after? Is that what Jesus is after? Let me tell you, that is quite a lot of people's experience of church. I'm not saying this church, but we know that stuff can happen, don't we? And then as we look at love, on the other hand, individually, as a person, I love it, don't I? And don't we? When I look at Jesus and he treated me like it says here, verse 4 onwards, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's Jesus towards me and towards you. We love that. And if we love that, how can we not love that towards others as well? See, that's how it works. To be able to love, you have to have fixed your eyes on Jesus. That's what we're trying to do with Morph. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what we want for every generation in this church. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because 
The reason we love at all is because He first loved us. It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. That is what will prevent us ever from becoming a zombie church. Instead, and apologies to those of you who've got a manuscript. Most of you thought I've left it a number of times already anyway. But this bit isn't in there. I want to talk about hugs. Are you a hugger? You don't have to, you don't have to put your hand up, but you probably will have to hug someone if you want to admit that. See, I do this thing that annoys my kids a bit, and Ali as well, my wife, from time to time as an expression of my love and care. 20-second hug. So I go and grab whoever it is, the poor unsuspecting victim, and hug them for 20 seconds. Um, now, it's official. Hugs decrease cortisol levels. That's stress. Hugs increase oxytocin levels and facilitate bonding between those hugging. The length of our hugs matters more than the number of hugs. Now, that's what I think for my body and how I can use that to show love to those who I love. What about this body? Here. Us. The church. This body in like a group hug, as it were, getting round our youth or children or seniors or singles or parents or whoever else in a collective hug, intending to express love. Because that's how we are towards each other as the body of Christ. So that we don't just know we should love. Or we don't just have a desire to be loved. But we actually feel loved. Right? And we know that we're valued and we're useful because together we are all fixing our eyes on Jesus. And in love to us, we hear him say in places like 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, I need you. You're an important part of the body. And this body builds itself up in love. And this body reaches out to others in love with all of the gifts that I have arranged and given to you just the way I wanted you to have them. So we bring it in and get round Morph together or any of the other ministries in our church. And we get round them together in love and using our gifts. And we reach out then with the love of Christ to others in love with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ 
who gave himself to save us all in love. With that message and with the gifts he's given us. Because that is how Jesus builds his church, his body. It's the most excellent cause in the most excellent way. Right, we're going to wrap this up. The people that study these things tell us that there are three enormous issues that young people, and I would say actually anyone, need compelling answers to. But these are good for us all, as I've said. The question of identity. Who am I? The question of community. Where do I belong? And the question of purpose. What should I do? Who am I? You're someone who Jesus died to save because he loved you and gave himself for you. You're in Christ. That's an identity. Where do I belong? In this community called the church, the body of Christ, where you have a meaningful part to play and you are needed for the blessing you are to the body. And what should I do? Whatever you do, make sure you're committed to this thing that Jesus is doing in this world. Because there's nothing bigger than it. Come and tell me if you think there's something bigger. I don't think there is. And get stuck into that. Commit yourselves to the most excellent cause building a Jesus church in the most excellent way, love. Let's do that together, eh? Amen. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you said to your disciples, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Help us now in just a moment of quiet, Lord, just to reflect on what we've heard and what we think. And in the, your presence, how we might respond. Dan's going to continue to lead us in prayer.